All right, so it might have felt a little awkward this morning having uh, Doug start with the He is Risen. Oh, by the way, if you need a Bible, raise your hand and someone will bring one to you because uh, that's normally our Easter tradition thing. Uh, but today, technically, in the way that we're working through the Scriptures here, today is Easter for us uh, because we're going through the Gospel of John, because we've come to John chapter 20. We're going to be looking at the resurrection uh, in a certain uh, aspect, if you look at it just right, Um, it's actually kind of a blessing to be able to do this not on Easter Sunday. Sometimes Easter gets stressful as you start to plan out all these big family meals and you're trying to worry about all the festivities and you got to make sure all the kids have the exact same number of peeps in their candy basket and all that kind of stuff that you have going on. Uh, But for us right now to just put all of that aside and just focus specifically uh, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Of course, that resurrection is uh, important because of the death of Jesus Christ that we looked at last week. Uh, For me, just uh, powerful personally to kind of review what the death of Jesus accomplished, that he died on the cross for our sins, ransoming us or redeeming us from the bondage of slavery. Uh, And then in doing so, he reconciled us in relationship to God. He demonstrated God's love for us. All of that is powerful, but it can kind of leave you with this mindset that maybe the resurrection uh, isn't as important Uh, But the reality is the resurrection is the thing. uh, It's kind of like the exclamation point at the end. If Jesus had just died on the cross and there was no resurrection, people would have just seen him as a martyr like many other martyrs. But what he did in the resurrection is he gave evidence of the power of God working through him. So uh, let's look at the resurrection today, uh, hopefully with some fresh eyes, hopefully with a, a heart ready to hear these things. Verse 1 of chapter 20 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, as we go through chapter 20 today, we're going to be focusing in on this word saw or maybe the word seen as we go through this. Uh, The point that John is making here uh, is that these are eyewitness accounts of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And this testimony, we're told in verses 29 and 30, was all written down for us so that we might uh, believe. It's blessed are those who did not see and yet Believed, And that's what we have to, to recognize, that we didn't necessarily see the resurrected Jesus Christ, uh, but there is a blessing for us uh, in that even though we didn't see him, we still believed. And so it's a, powerful, uh, a powerfully important portion for us. And uh, uh, as we go through this, I just want you to kind of track that word saw or seen. I'll help you up on the screen as well as I have those up there, or at least hopefully my iPad doesn't agree with me right now. So... Uh, That's just the way life goes today. Uh, And it has been one of those days, in case you're curious, kind of everything. The microphone wasn't working. The heaters were not working in the building at all this morning. Uh, I don't know why that is. There's no heat. And so anyway, and so why should my iPad work? I'll just ignore that that exists. Um, iPad, anyone? (laughs) $7,000. It can be yours. One time, low fee. 
So verse 3, we pick it up. Here's Mary Magdalene. She's come to the tomb. She's recognized that the tomb is empty. She doesn't really know what to think at this point. She's uh, confused. She's scared. She thinks somebody's actually taken the body of Jesus. Uh, They're not uh, sure what's going on. So she goes, she tells Peter, uh, and we believe John. It just keeps saying the disciple whom Jesus loved, but we believe that's John. Uh, And then in verse 3, Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb The two were running together. The other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter, show off, and and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings uh, lying there in the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, uh, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. And so now we have uh, Mary has told Peter and the other disciple, we believe John, that Jesus has raised or that Jesus' tomb is empty. So they run to the tomb. John points out, the author of this book just likes to stick one more dig at Peter in there. I got there first. Uh, He ran faster. Uh, He peers in and he sees all the linen wrappings. He sees the face towel. He sees everything that should be there except for the body of Jesus. Now his response is actually different than Mary's. When Mary sees the empty tomb, she assumes somebody has taken the body of Jesus. Uh, But it tells us here in verse 8, it says, uh, The other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. So there's something different going on for him. It's not just that he saw the empty tomb, but he now believes something. And of course, all of this is what the Gospel of John has been trying to build up to this idea of believing And we can connect that then to some of the things that Jesus has said uh, throughout this book. I'm going to look just briefly at uh, John chapter 2 in verses 18 through 22. At the beginning of this, it uh, it said in verse 18, The Jews then said to Jesus, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. Raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 40 years to build this temple, and you'll rise, raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body, verse 22. So when Jesus was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. This idea, and then even in John chapter 14, Jesus explaining to him, I'm going away, but I'll be back. All of this he was kind of planting in their brains. He was putting it on their hearts and in their minds. And they didn't necessarily grasp it or understand it because let's be honest, the idea of a physical bodily resurrection was a pretty strange idea. This is not something that normally occurs. But he's kind of planted this idea in their mind so that at the right moment as they recognize the tomb is empty, here John in that moment, that's when he believed. His belief was connected to the resurrection. 
Now, before that, he believed a lot of the things about Jesus, that he was the Christ. Uh, He believed different things about the power of him, that God was somehow working through him. But in this moment, it all becomes this kind of crystal clear moment that all of the scriptures together and the things that Jesus had done and said all in this moment for him are just becoming reality. In this moment, John believes in the resurrected Jesus Christ. It's a powerful type moment that you see there. So, as we look forward, hey, my iPad's working now, just in case you're curious. I don't know if you know how impressive that is, but I can't do two things at once very well. But what I just did is completely restart my iPad, re-enter my passcode while I was reading the passage to you, let it all work up, got the program open again, and now have it running. I don't know if the sermon's any good, but I'm really impressed with my day so far. Like... (laughs) You throw some chewing gum in this and we've got a hero on our hands. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) It's the little victories in life. (laughs) Verse 11. So the disciples have now gone away. And in verse 11, uh, Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, uh, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren And say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he said these things. I have seen the Lord. Again, it was that visual seeing of the resurrected Jesus Christ that has brought Mary from his missing to now she sees him and she believes in the resurrected Jesus Christ. The whole picture is kind of, uh, it's a little bit heartbreaking. It's also a little bit funny as you kind of watch it playing out. Uh, But the disciples, Peter and John, they've left. The tomb's empty. John already believes. She's still at the tomb weeping for her lost friend, for her lost Savior. He's gone. And I mean, you guys can see this kind of playing out in your own life, uh, just going to this point of, of maybe going to somebody's gravesite or going to their, their, their gravestone and just having this moment of just kind of weeping what you've lost there. Uh, for her, the emotions of all that she's just been gone through over the last couple of years, just coming out of her, she's just weeping in this moment. Uh, she peeks inside the tomb and she sees two angels there. Again, all of this would just be so overwhelming. But as she turns around to come out of the tomb, Jesus is there, but overwhelmed by grief. She doesn't really pay attention to who's there. There's just somebody there. And she thinks, well, it must be the gardener. Did, Did you steal his body? Have you taken him away? Because if you have, just show me where he is and I'll go get him and I'll put him someplace else. 
And then he says, Mary. And she turns again, what? And she recognizes now that it's Jesus. Her teacher, Rabboni, she cries out. Teacher. And it says that she begins to cling to him. Which again, I can see that playing out perfectly in my head. I can see that whole scenario. And if you could imagine missing or mourning somebody and then all of a sudden they're there. And in the midst of your grief, just the clinging that would happen. Like you would grab them in for the greatest of bear hugs. You would not want to let go of them again, right? You thought they were gone and yet here they are and you're clinging to them. So she's clinging to Jesus and Jesus, and I don't know if he intends this sarcastically, but that's just the way my brain works is he says, look, I'm about to ascend. You might want to let go. (laughs) What he's really telling her is I, I still have some more work to do. I have yet to ascend to heaven, but what I need you to do before I can ascend to heaven is to gather together the disciples. Call the disciples. Let them know what's happened. So all the disciples are now going to hear from Mary that she has seen the Lord, that she has seen the resurrected Jesus Christ. There's a pretty pretty powerful thing that's being promised here, but Uh, Here he is now setting all of this up for the very next step that's going to be important again. The ascension of Jesus actually shows up in Acts chapter 1. John, oddly enough, doesn't even mention the actual event of the ascension of Jesus, the, the going up into heaven. But here Jesus has died on the cross. He's been buried. He's been dead for three days. He comes back to life. Mary sees him. She's clinging to him. And Jesus says, no, you got to go tell everybody what you've seen. Go tell all of the disciples. What that's going to do is cause the disciples to kind of all gather together. A meeting of sorts, if you will. We we need to talk about this. First, the tomb's empty. Then Peter and John go to the tomb, and John comes back convinced Jesus is raised from the dead. And we're all thinking John might be a little bit off at this point. But then Mary comes back again and says, now she has seen the resurrected Jesus. I mean, this is a lot for the disciples to kind of take in. It's a lot lot for them to kind of handle or understand. So in verse 19, So when it was evening on that day, so this is still the day of the resurrection of Jesus, it's still the first day of the week, still Sunday, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So now Jesus, later that same day, it's still the resurrection Sunday, it's still that day, 
He then appears to the disciples. Uh, John points out some interesting things about this, by the way. Uh, One thing is that the disciples are all locked away. It says the doors were shut, the disciples were in there for fear of the Jews. This, This whole idea that they were kind of hidden behind closed door, and yet in the midst of that, Jesus somehow appears. Now, this is important just from this aspect. Yes, Jesus raised from the dead. Yes, in bodily form where they could actually physically touch him, but it's a different type of body. It's the resurrection body that we've been promised. Uh, This is what makes the resurrection of Jesus different than, say, the resurrection of Lazarus uh, or the resurrection that happens uh, in the Old Testament uh, to the Shulamite woman's son. Uh, These resurrections happened, but it didn't really change who those people were. It was just they came back to life, then they had to die again. They had to like go through that twice, if you can even imagine what that must be like. But when Jesus resurrected, this was different. This wasn't just coming back to life so that he could live a bit longer and die again. This was Jesus being resurrected to an eternal life. This is a different person in the sense that he's got a complete new eternal life. He's physically changed. There is something different. And so he's able to kind of just be in and out of these scenes in these very miraculous ways, which uh, would be a great proof for the eyewitnesses, right? Like maybe if they had like seen him just kind of come through the door, like knock, 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 can I come in? Who is that? And it's Jesus. Really? Is it really? Let me look through the people. That is Jesus. So then they let him in. Then they could think to themselves, well, maybe he never really died. There's nothing, you know, maybe there's just kind of, kind of fell asleep and then he came back. But they're locked behind closed doors and Jesus just, boom, appears. The resurrected Jesus here is different. Now, it's led some people to believe that this was all um, hallucinated by the disciples. Uh, We recognize the foolishness of that statement because if anybody in this room has ever hallucinated before, you recognize that you're the only one that sees it. The whole group does not get the same hallucination. I don't care what you took right? Like everybody's going to get a different hallucination, but they're all seeing the same thing. This is different than hallucinating. Uh, This is different than Jesus fell asleep and just showed up. He just appears behind closed doors. So they see the Lord and man, when they see the Lord, they begin to rejoice. The natural response, the things that they had heard, that the tomb was empty, that Peter believe, or that John believes he's resurrected from the dead, that Mary actually saw the resurrected Jesus. The disciples gathered together, they now see him and the party is on. They begin to rejoice. I can't imagine what that rejoicing even was like. Like what would that have been like? I mean, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. I think there would have been hooping and hollering and woohoo. And I mean, like, like, I just think it just would have been like, you've got to be kidding me. Wow. Wait a second. That's what you meant. You were coming back. Oh, now I get it. That's what you meant. Your, your temple would be destroyed, but in three days later, you would raise it back up. Oh my goodness. I mean, it just been this kind of huge party. And in the middle of that, Jesus tells them now for the second time, peace be with you. And he's going to give them this instruction. As I was sent, the Father now sends you. In other words, now that you've seen the resurrected Jesus Christ, you need to go tell everybody. But Jesus didn't leave them alone to do this task. It says that in that moment, he then breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the scene uh, is kind of awkward, really. 
I mean, I don't want to talk about the breath of a guy that's been dead for three days. We'll put that aside for just a minute. But isn't that just a weird way for Jesus to bring to them the Holy Spirit? I mean, the literal translation is he blew on them. And then says, receive the Holy Spirit. That's a little weird unless you think back to the book of Genesis. When God created man and he breathed or gave them the breath of life. He breathed on Adam. And then Adam came to life. And what he's doing here is he gives the Holy Spirit to this select group of disciples that's gathered together. He's giving them the life of the Spirit of God. It's, it's a life that is really, in this sense now, becoming an eternal life. He gives them an interesting instruction after that. He then tells them that if you forgive the sins of any, those sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins, those sins are retained. A little bit strange, right? Kind of a strange thing. It's led to kind of some awkward things in theology where uh, some people have come to the conclusion that because of this, uh, the apostles were the only ones who were able to forgive sins. Well, except Thomas, because he didn't show up for the meeting, right? Oops. Uh, some have said only those churches that have uh, what they would call an apostolic ascension. Uh, in other words, that they could trace the lineage of their popes or their leaders all the way back to the 12, that only those leaders of those churches can forgive sins. Uh, but we have to remember that in this group, it wasn't probably just the apostles. It was all the disciples gathered together. And as they're all gathered together, they're being given this. Uh, the idea here is that Jesus has already finished the work of forgiving our sins. And all of us now have the ability to go out and tell people that in Jesus Christ, their sins are forgiven. Uh, it's not a special power, but it's a special proclamation. If you tell people that their sins can be forgiven in Jesus Christ and they believe, their sins are forgiven. Not because you're special, but because the cross was special. The other thing I like to connect here as well is this idea that Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and in this moment, it's kind of a precursor to what's going to happen on the day of Pentecost. But that receiving of the Holy Spirit was not just this special thing just for them, that they're the only ones that received the Holy Spirit. No, the promise of God is that all who will believe will receive the Holy Spirit. All of us will receive the Holy Spirit. You see that uh, in John chapter 7. Uh, I'll just turn there briefly, but John chapter 7, verses 38 and 39, it says, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, now that Jesus has been glorified by God in the resurrection, he's giving the Holy Spirit, but the promise was to all who believe in him. If you believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ as your Lord, you have the same Holy Spirit that the apostles had. You had the same Holy Spirit. You have in you the Holy Spirit who is God. He's the same Holy Spirit that they received in that moment when Jesus breathed on them. 
It's described by Jesus in John chapter 7 as rivers of living water flowing out of you. That's a, such a powerful picture. That's how the Spirit is, rivers of living water flowing out of you. Through the things you say, the things you do, but the power of God coming through you. Now, we must not forget who it is who dwells within us who believe. It is the Spirit who is God. Dwelling within you is God. Simply because you believed in the resurrected Jesus Christ. So they now have this job to go out and to proclaim the resurrection, to proclaim the forgiveness of sins that came through Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, Thomas uh, was not with them. He did not show up for the meeting. Uh, that's why it's a good thing you show up to church. You just never know what Jesus is going to do, right? He doesn't show up to the meeting. He misses out. All the disciples now are saying, we have seen the resurrected Jesus Christ. And Thomas says, no, nah, you guys are kidding, aren't you? You're just messing with me. I know you guys. Peter, really? Am I going to trust Peter right now? I'm not going to believe it unless I see it and can physically put my fingers in the holes in his hand and stick my hand in the hole in his side. I just won't believe it. Uh, Thomas continues on in that disbelief for eight days. Verse 26, After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came to the... Uh, sorry. Thomas with him, Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Now, Thomas, of course, can you imagine for eight days, all of your friends believed that they saw the resurrected Jesus Christ? And for eight days, Thomas is like, no, uh-uh, didn't happen. You guys are just, this is the longest running, meanest joke ever. Like, you're going to keep doing this eight days later? Really, guys? And Thomas, for his part, still keeps coming to the meetings, right? He still keeps showing up, but he just, he just isn't going to buy it. These guys are all worked up. I, I don't know what's really going on here, but they are missing the boat. And then once again, the door being shut. If you can imagine the scene, everybody saying, Thomas, he's raised from the dead. And Thomas says, I'm not going to believe it. And then he hears this voice behind him. Peace, be still. Well, that's a familiar voice. And then Jesus says, Thomas, touch the holes in my hands. Put your hand right there in the hole in my side where they pierced me with a spear. Believe. Well, Thomas doesn't just believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ. He declares something about Jesus that I'm not fully sure the other disciples even saw at this point. He says, my Lord and my God. 
Now think about this. There are denominations out there. There are, 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 are I don't want to say denominations. There are groups of so-called churches that have spent their whole ministry life proclaiming the fact that Jesus was just another angel or he was just a great man. They might even say that he was the son of God, that he became like unto a God. But this says, and is not corrected by Jesus, my Lord and my God. Thomas recognized something here, that Jesus is God. Now, Jesus, again, has been hinting at this all throughout his ministry. In John chapter 13 and John chapter 14, even as he was speaking to the disciples before he left, he kept using this phrase in chapter 13, I am, unless you believe I am. And then in John chapter 14, he talks about how the Father and I are one. He's claiming this unity with God. Uh, throughout this, the, the book of John, he would proclaim that he was the Son of God. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders would want to put him to death for blasphemy because he was claiming that he was somehow equal with God. All of this being laid, this groundwork being laid, but in this moment, at the moment of the resurrection, Thomas goes, Oh, my, my God. He's seeing Jesus for who he is now, for his God. He's seeing Jesus who he really is. He is our great God and Savior. Jesus, our great God and Savior, Jesus. Thomas sees this now. Now, Thomas gets a bad name. They call him Doubting Thomas. Uh, I feel a little bad for the guy because Doubting Thomas quickly turns into the Thomas that makes this very powerful statement. My Lord and my God. Now, Jesus throws a little bit of a bone to us, I guess, is how I would say this. In this moment, recorded by John for us, he, he says something that for us, though, becomes very powerful. He said, blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Now, that might have been true of John for a few hours that day. John at the tomb saw the empty tomb. He didn't see Jesus. He believed, but then the rest of them didn't believe until they saw, whether it was Mary or the rest of the disciples. And Thomas actually refused to believe until he actually saw. But Jesus said, Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Or as I like to say it is, Blessed is me, because I didn't see and yet I believe. Now all of this is, of course, playing together. All of this is intentional. It's all purposeful. John is laying this all out. The more I've gone through the Gospel of John, uh, the more I'm thinking to myself that, uh, and obviously it's because he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but one of the greatest writers in the history of the world. There is so much intermingling of these concepts and these ideas throughout this whole book as you kind of start to piece it and place it all together. As you're reading through it, it's a cool moment, it's a cool moment, it's a cool moment, and then it all comes to this conclusion at the end here in verse 30 where it says, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which were not written in this book, but these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. 
All of this was written so that you may believe, but believe very specific things about Jesus. That Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. Now as you go back through the Gospel of John, and we've talked about this briefly before, but 93 times John uses the word believe. I would have never even caught that, except John has this one line in there, all of this was written so that you may believe. Huh. Has he brought up believe before? Yeah, 93 times. Talk about a guy who knows how to work a room. He just kind of keeps saying the word believe, believe, believe. I, I was watching a football game yesterday, and um, uh, they were doing the, one of the reviews, so there was some doubt about a catch. The guy catches the ball, and they say uh, that it's a catch, but then the other team says, let's review this play. And so while the guy is, uh, is reviewing the play, the song comes on in the stadium, and the song is, let it be, let it be. Oh, let it be, let it be. I mean, it's just a subliminal message to the referee. Let that play stand, right? Let it be. Same thing here. John has just been weaving the word believe all throughout so as he can build up to this moment. All of this was written so that you may believe. And specifically some things that he wants you to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Well, this is brought up in John 6, 7, 9, 11, uh, that you may believe that he is the Son of God, uh, which, by the way, no subtle hint over a hundred times in this book, Jesus says, my Father, my Father, my Father, my Father. Oh, that means you're his son. And he spends a lot of time connected with this word believe, uh, that you would know that I was sent by God. All of this was written so that you would believe that he is the Christ, the promised Messiah, the one who would come to be the redeemer of God's people, and that you would recognize that he was the son of God sent by God. All of that was written so that you would believe, and that that belief it says, and that believing you may have life in his name. And all throughout, as you follow that word believe, you see kind of this consistent theme that in believing you might have eternal life. John 3, 15 and 16, verse 36 as well. Chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 11, this same theme that in believing you might have eternal life. So that in believing, you might be as Jesus is in this moment. One who is resurrected to an eternal life. That although like him we may die, we will be raised to live eternally in the same way that he has been raised. Do you see the connection, how John's kind of weaving all of this together to bring us to kind of this amazing moment of belief? Now, there are so many uh, powerful verses about this in Scripture. The connection between the resurrection and belief. Uh, one of the ones that caught my attention, uh, I'll just throw this out here for you. It's only interesting uh, in this aspect. I was at a conference this weekend uh, and the theme of the, con the conference was uh, the justification of Jesus Christ, the, the, the work that God did in justifying us, uh, really in declaring us free of sin, not because we are free of sin, but because he declared it so, because he's God. But there was this one verse that kind of stuck out in my mind in Romans chapter 4, uh, verse 25, 
Uh, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions was raised because of our justification. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the accentuation point. It's the exclamation point that says you have been pardoned of all of your sins. When they saw the resurrected Jesus Christ, they believed that. When I heard of the resurrected Jesus Christ, I believed that. When I was baptized, I was baptized not just into the death of Jesus. I wasn't just buried with him in the waters of baptism. But the book of Romans says, I was like him raised to a newness of life. Whether we can comprehend this or not, although physically we may die, we already in our belief in Jesus Christ have entered in to eternal life. Uh, It's yet to be lived for all eternity, right? Uh, Though our body may die, there's this resurrection that happens. But because of our belief, we have already received the gift of eternal life. That's what the gospel all hinges on. So it puts me in this weird spot. I am the world's worst evangelist. I don't know if you know that about me. It's a proven fact. But the whole book has been building up to this point. So that you may believe. So that you may believe. So that you may believe. And it would be ridiculous for me to not ask the question, do you believe? So I'm going to do some old-timey religion stuff. I'm going to have Doug come up here. He's going to get his guitar and he's going to begin to strum gently in the background. We're going to reach back into the worship service. We're going to play again one of those songs we already sang. We're going to do all those old-timey things. But I'm going to give a little bit more traditional altar call than I usually give. Normally I say, you know, you know, if you're comfortable, come speak to somebody after service. I'm going to make it downright awkward for you. And I mean that in the best of ways. The book of Romans says this. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, Now, if you've been here for a number of years, that is not a new verse. That is my repeated theme verse, and I'm hoping to so ingrain it in your head that at any moment, any one of you can lead somebody to Christ Because you may not remember every detail, but you're going to remember Romans 10.9. But salvation is listed here in two parts. Number one, a confession with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And number two, a belief in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And we have just spent 20 weeks, 20 weeks, looking at the eyewitness accounts of those who saw Jesus live, saw him die, and then saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. The question is, do you believe? So here's that awkward moment. If you had not previously believed that Jesus 
was the Christ, the Son of God, if you didn't previously believe in the resurrection. But the Spirit of God has maybe been working on your life over the last few months. I'm going to ask you to do something simple, but I think important. And that is to just take a moment right now and just stand up where you are. And that's awkward for me. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's not so much that it's awkward for you, because when you stand up, people are going to clap. That's going to be exciting. If nobody stands up, people are going to look at me and go, yep, he really is the worst evangelist ever, right? So, so when I say it's awkward, I'm talking it's awkward for me. But if you had not previously believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and today you would like to make that confession as Lord, if you would just stand where you are. So my next question is this. And I think I know the answer to this one. This makes it easy for everybody. Even if you've previously believed, would you stand? There's some power in this. What you believe is not crazy. Look at all the people who believe it with you. There is unity in the belief that we have in the resurrected Jesus Christ. We don't just believe that he died for our sins, but he resurrected from the de dead, demonstrating that the same God who raised him from the dead has the power to raise us from the dead. That we can have eternal life. Father, we do thank you for all of us who have believed that we have eternal life. Father, I would ask that your Holy Spirit would place on the hearts and minds of those of us who believe people that we need to tell. Father, you filled us with your Spirit so that you could send us out in the same way that you were sent. Father, I'm I'm concerned that, that nobody gets saved because nobody invites the unsaved. Father, would you just put in each one of our hearts and each one of our minds one person that we can tell, that we can ask to go through the Gospel of John with us, that we can give the the link to the Gospel of John sermons to, that we can invite to church next Sunday as we finish this book. But your word will accomplish its purpose. That people would believe. Father, we thank you so much for your resurrected son. And we want to close by worshiping him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.